0: Amen. Well, if you have a Bible with you, you can open to 1 Corinthians uh, 16. We're going to continue our study through the uh, New Testament letter of 1 Corinthians. We uh, have just two weeks left on this uh, this book, and then we're going to be returning to our study of Exodus. We've been looking at, during the fall, the last couple of years, we're picking up in, in Exodus 24. And uh, pretty much from this summer until Christmas, we're going to be looking carefully at the tabernacle construction in Exodus. Uh, In Exodus 24 to 34. So uh, it should be an exciting time. Some really fascinating things to be studying. So I'm looking forward to that. But two more weeks in uh, 1 Corinthians. We're in 1 Corinthians 16 verses 1 to 11. This is the word of the Lord. Now concerning the collection for the saints. As I directed the churches of Galatia. So you also are to do. On the first day of every week. Each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. When I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey. Wherever I go, for I do not want uh, to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has been opened to me and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, uh, we praise you that you have spoken to us through your holy word. And we praise you for little passages like this tucked at the end of Paul's letters, filled with practical insight for us. And uh, we pray that you would give us ears to hear your words uh, to us and that uh, you enable us to uh, respond to your word with faith and obedience. And uh, so we open our hearts to you and ask that your spirit would be our teacher in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, this morning we're coming to the last chapter of 1 Corinthians. We've we've been studying 1 Corinthians. It took five summers uh, to go through 1 Corinthians. We just have two weeks remaining. And, you know, I don't know how many times this has happened, but, you know, I plan our sermon series years in advance. You know, what sections of what books we're going to look at. And then a year in advance, this was uh, planned a year ago. And uh, last Sunday we had a congregational meeting where we talked about our budget and as it works out, of course, the next Sunday we're in a passage that is, gives some very practical instu- instruction about giving money to God's kingdom. And uh, that's the Lord who plans those things. And so, you know, our church every Sunday, we, after the sermon, we have the offering bag that goes around and we give an offering to the Lord every Sunday. Why is that? Well, verse 2 says, on the first day of every week, that's Sunday, when Christians would gather in the early church. Uh, each of you is to put something aside and store it up that as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. There's a collection that happened on on the Lord's Day, on Sundays. And so that's what we're talking about today is the topic of tithes and offerings to the Lord. And, uh, you know, I should say I don't think we should feel embarrassed, uh, you know, talking about a topic like tithes and offerings. Sometimes people are uncomfortable with church, you know, talking to people about giving uh, money. Uh, the topic of money and giving comes up frequently in the Bible. Actually, you know, here it comes up in 1 Corinthians 16. We're going to be in Exodus 25 in just a few weeks. At the beginning of the construction of the tabernacle in the Old Testament. You know how they made the tabernacles. Everyone brought their gold. And they melted it down to make the tabernacles. They had to make these contributions. It's going to come up again in, in just a few weeks. And, um, and, you know, our culture has a, a strange relationship to money. Because there's really nothing that people are more private about than their money, and you know, I'll tell you as a pastor, if you were to compare the number of people who've come and talked to me and shared with me about their addiction to pornography or sexual addiction, and you compared that to the number of people who said, you know, I really want to know how the Lord wants me to use my money, which one do you think is more a private topic? It's not even close money is way more, way more private a topic. That's We should just point at that and say, that's strange. That is a weird thing. And why is that? Well, in our church, we're not embarrassed to talk about any topic in the Bible, whether it's an addiction to pornography or it's uh, giving our money to God's mission. And so this passage we're looking at today it has just some really practical guidelines for each of us as we ask the question, How should we as a community think about giving to God's mission? Three principles that I would like to draw out from this passage. This is what they are Our giving should care for the poor, our giving should support missionaries, and our giving should be disciplined. Three important principles that our giving should care for the poor, our giving should support missionaries, and our giving should be disciplined. And one of the things I just want to point out as we're beginning, you see there in verse 1 how this passage starts, now concerning the collection for the saints. That expression, now concerning, shows up six times in the second half of 1 Corinthians. The first ones in 1 Corinthians 7 where Paul says, now concerning the thing about which you wrote me, and so apparently, what happened is the Corinthian church had written a letter to Paul with a list of questions that they wanted him to, his teaching on. And so he says, "Now concerning this, here's my answer. Now concerning this, here's my answer. We're coming. There's two now concerning in First Corinthians 16." And apparently, they had written him and said, "Tell us about our giving. Tell us about the collection. Give us some instruction on it." And so my heart and my hope is that as a congregation, we'd have that same heart that the Corinthian church had. Say. Paul, give us instruction on this important topic. And so uh, three principles this morning. The first is this, that our giving should care for the poor. And the first thing to note is that uh, the giving that we're talking about in this passage is giving that's done through churches. You see that in verse 1. Now it says, now concerning the collection of the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also... Are to do, and Paul had given directions. You know, he planted all these churches in the Mediterranean world, and he'd given instructions to those churches about their financial support of God's mission in the world. And here they're they're called collections, and what that means was that there were these networks of churches that had relationships with each other, and the networks of churches supported one another financially. And so then he goes on to verse three and says, "And when I arrive." I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. Now, what's that about Jerusalem? Well, if you know the story of of the Apostle Paul, when he converted and became a Christian, the Lord called him to be an apostle. And after spending time with the Lord and reflecting on his calling, he went to Jerusalem to meet with the other apostles with Peter and James and John, and tell him, hey, the Lord has called me to go, you guys are serving the Jewish population, the Lord has called me to go to the non-Jewish Gentile nations and plant churches among them. And this is the gospel I want to tell to them. And so they had this meeting, and the, and the other apostles said, you know what, you're right, you're an apostle too. And they gave him the right hand of fellowship, and they shook hands. And they said, we are on the same team, we're doing the same work together. But they said there's one qualification. They said that Paul needed to remember the poor especially the poor in Jerusalem. And we know that even in the early centuries of the, uh, the Christian church, there was a severe famine in, in Jerusalem. We know that both from the Bible, and actually we have other sources outside of the Bible that said in the reign of Claudius, there was a severe famine in the 40s. And so Paul, whenever he went throughout the Mediterranean planting churches, he would always raise money for the poor Christians in Jerusalem. And part of the reason for that was if you read Paul's letters to the early churches, one of the main pastoral issues that he's facing is that he has all these different people from different ethnic groups, especially Gentiles and Jews, who are coming into churches and worshiping together. And these are really culturally very different people, religiously different backgrounds, and now all of a sudden they're supposed to be brothers and sisters and to be a family. And so he's trying to find ways to bond them together. And so you imagine being a a Jewish Christian in Jerusalem and you're hearing about all these Christians around the Mediterranean who are former pagans that are now God's chosen people along with you and you're probably thinking well are they really God's chosen people i mean are they has God really accepted them and then you imagine they get this gift from these uh, other former pagans who have now been so generous to care for them what do you think that would do to their heart and that embrace to say oh these are our brothers and sisters they're caring for us they're supporting us that's the kind of bond that Paul was trying to create through this collection. And so our giving is to bond together the global church through churches caring for each other. Now, that raised a question. We just uh, had a budget presentation a week ago. Does our church's budget reflect this concern for the global poor? I'd say probably not. Um, I was challenged by this passage. Our church has given away lots of money towards church planting, towards supporting missionaries, and um, not as much that we've given to the poor. And I'll tell you, it's not a simple answer of how do you give to the poor well. And how do we become a church that is partnering financially in the needs of the global church? And I think there's an interesting answer in verse 3. Verse 3 says... Paul says, and when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit to carry your gift to Jerusalem. Uh, the Corinthian church was supposed to select people from the church who were going to carry their gift to Jerusalem and deliver it to them. Why are they going to do that? It's going to build a relationship. It's gonna bu- if the purpose is to build a bond, you've got to go meet the people. You've got to go know them and when you go meet them, you're going to be a mutual blessing to each other. You're going to bring a blessing, and they're going to bless you, and it's going to bond you together relationally. And so we need our people to go meet Christians in other parts of the world. And, of course, that's happening. I know many of you are doing that. You're going to other parts of the world meeting Christians and building bonds with them. You know, We have a whole group of people in our church who go to Honduras every year, and they're building relationships with Christians Missionaries there, Hondurans there, Uh, our missions committee sent out our old pastor, uh, um, Daniel Robbins, to go train pastors in Malawi. Actually, I was just uh, talking with a a guy in town, Brian McSwan, who's a pastor in town, many of you know Brian, who just spent time in India. And they've been supporting church planters in northern India. northern India, there's severe persecution happening in northern India, where he says, basically, if anyone decides they want to be a pastor, they're basically signing up for martyrdom. And they're planting churches, and he went there and he said, you know what, man, we're giving them some financial support to help them plant churches, but they were way more a blessing to me than I was to them. And there's this bond that is happening. And so I think the key for us is we need to go visit the global church to build the relationships that urge us to partner with them. Okay? And I think that leads to our second point, is not only that our giving should care for the poor... Second, our giving should support missionaries. And you'll notice in verse 5 how Paul says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. And that little phrase, you know, help me on my journey, that, is, that was a technical term in the early church for supporting missionaries. And uh, you'll, you'll see that he says the same thing about Timothy there in verse 11 where he says, So let no one despise him, help him on his way in peace. Which meant that missionaries would come through churches asking for support to go do their work. And so uh, Paul doesn't just think that a church is going to have money simply to care for the poor, uh, these networks of churches, but he's also assuming that the church is going to have money to support missionaries who are going out. And uh, um, Paul himself had missionary ambitions where, you know, he wanted to plant all kinds of churches around the, around the Mediterranean. And he says something similar to this in the book of Romans. If you read Romans, is Paul's greatest you know, theological work, at the end of the book of Romans, he says to the the church in Rome, I'm going to come visit you. I want to go plant churches in Spain. And my hope is that you're going to fund that work when I go there. And I should, you know, I should also add earlier in 1 Corinthians, he doesn't just say it's missionaries, but he says in 1 Corinthians 9, in the same way that the Lord commanded that those, uh, oh, in the same way the Lord commanded That's Jesus commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So he expects missionaries are going to come through the church. They're going to be able to be supported. There's, you know, ministers, church staff in Corinth are going to be provided for and cared for as well. And what that means is that finances are an immensely important part of the mission of Jesus' kingdom. It's immensely important. You know, I'll tell you this past year I've been working through a a history book on the conversion of Western Europe from the fall of the Roman Empire in the 5th century to about the 12th century. And, you know, how did those pagan lands that, you know, just brutal barbarian lands, they transformed to become like the heart of Christendom. And they had churches everywhere and they had monasteries everywhere. And, you know, this, this foundation for a rich culture for the next thousand years, how did that happen? overwhelmingly, it was these ambitious missionaries who were like, I'm going to this new people group. They might kill me. But they would partner with someone who had resources. And they would say, you know what? I'm going to give you this plot of land. I'm going to build a monastery there. I'm going to build a church there. I'm going to build a school there. And we're going to, we're going to care for the people in this whole region. It was that partnership. And these families that had resources. And what we have to understand is we are the family with means in the global church. We have to recognize that. Because we you know we often think that God's kingdom is this purely spiritual thing. But Jesus says, Your king, we should pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as soon as you get into any kind of missionary work or church work, you find that all the earthiness of any endeavor in the world is true in church work as well. you got budgets, and you got finances, and you got staff, and you got HR, and you got, you got to have buildings, and you got to have utilities, and all these practical things are nese- essential for the work of the kingdom. And, you know, I just want you to imagine, like, just take everyone in this room. Let's say all of you made a list, and you were like, you know, if a church was really getting it, they were really doing what Jesus wanted the church to be. Just list out everything that that church would do. What would be on that list? It'd be like, well, the church would be teaching the Bible. The Bible would be taught, the whole counsel of God, and there would be, you know, lively, energetic worship, and you know, music would just lift our hearts, and it'd just be powerful worship. And there'd be community. You know, everyone would be, somehow be connected in, to one another. So they knew each other's needs and they were sharing each other's burdens. And every single person in the church, the children and the teens and the adults, everyone's being discipled. They're learning the doctrines. They're learning spiritual disciplines. And not only that we're caring for ourselves, we're out in the neighborhood. We have relationships with, with Birchwood, with Bellingham, with Birchwood Elementary. We're sending out church planners. We're sending out missionaries. We're, you know, these are all just the basics, Right? I mean, all this to say, I hope my church is doing that. And, you know, most churches is kind of like maybe they're doing a couple of them. And all of us want to be like, our church is doing the whole picture. It's a full picture. You just take your list, let alone all of our lists, and you try to do those things, it requires an immense amount of resources. There are many things in this church that our missions committee wants to do or, or people who are leading ministries want to do, and we don't have the resources for God's mission requires finances and resources. And, you know, I know when I, I first became a Christian, uh, I, didn't, I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't know anything about how church worked. And I, can't, I went to a church, and I was, uh, you know, I remember in one worship service just thinking, like, who pays for all this? Like, there's a pastor, and there's, like, a choir director, and there's, like, a building, and, the, you know, and everything seems painted and cleaned. And how... I was just like, you know, there's some denomination. They have a pile of money from a 1,000 years ago that has just been like paying for this whole thing. And, you know, you might think that about our church. We're a Presbyterian church. Not $1 comes into this church from a denomination. We have to send money to the denomination, you know, to you know, help plant churches. This is totally a family thing that you and me are putting together. It's grassroots. It's crowdsourced. That's what we're doing, and we're all playing a role. And, uh, and I think for, you know, all of us being here, we, the reason we're Christians is we said, you know, God's kingdom, Jesus' love for me. The, being a part of the church is the most important part, thing in my life. And so that's why our finances reflect how deeply important this is to each one of us. And so our giving should support missionaries and should support the people who are doing the work of God's kingdom. I want to w- add one other point on this. You know, Paul does not leave it at financial support for missionaries. And it's a beautiful way that he puts it in verse 10. He's talking about Timothy. Timothy's like his, his, you know, the one he's been training. It says, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you. For he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So he says, I want you to support Timothy financially, but even before that, I want you to put him at ease. And you know that word for put him at ease? It means let him be without fear. Let him be fearless. You know, the missionaries are dealing with all kinds of stress and anxiety, and, you know, they're discouraged about their work. Let his fears disappear. Let you be a safe haven where he comes and he finds rest for his soul. Be that for him. Okay? So our first two principles is that our giving should care for the poor and and also that our giving should support missionaries and people doing the work of the Lord as Paul describes Timothy's work. But I think if we're going to be a kind of church that does that, we need this th- third principle. Is that our giving should be disciplined. To be this kind of church, our giving should be disciplined. And Giving to God's work is a spiritual discipline. In verse 2, it gives a number of little guidelines uh, for people who have made giving a spiritual discipline in their lives. Look at what verse 2 says. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Let me just draw out four guidelines from that, From that one verse, verse 2, okay? Four brief guidelines. The first is that Paul says that our giving should be a part of our regular worship, weekly worship. You see what he says? On the first day of the week is when you do it. And that word on the first day of the work is sabbatu, which is is the Sabbath. And the first day of the week, this is one of the reasons why Christians worship on Sundays, not Saturday. The Christian Sabbath has changed from Saturday to Sunday. This is one of the verses that says that. And that's when Christians gathered together. And th- this means that the collections were a part of the weekly worship. And I think that the emphasis here is not so much on giving every single week, but but more that our giving is regular and systematic. And, you know, I know for me, like my family, I I get a paycheck and my bank sends a check every month to the church because... You know, I'm busy on Sunday mornings. My wife's getting the kids together, and we want it to be regular and systematic. Some other people in our church, maybe you're better. I'm going to write a check. We don't write a lot of checks in our life, so maybe you give online. You say, I'm going to set up something online. The point is for it to be regular and to be systematic. Uh, Giving does not happen haphazardly. And what Paul is describing in this passage isn't, you know, whatever I happen to have in my wallet when, you know, when the offering bag goes by. And this is true about all disciplines in our life, right? You know, if you are going to be a person who reads the Bible and prays regularly, the only way that happens is if you have a pretty regular time and place when that happens, and it's structured into your, your time. Or, you know, if you're going to exercise, you want to start exercising, you structure it into your week. This is when I do it. This is where I do it. I've thought through I've made a plan for it. Generosity of God's kingdom and his people is not different than that. Okay, so first, our giving should be with the rhythm of worship. Second, our giving should be done by everyone. And, I, you know, it's interesting that Paul puts that there in verse 2, where it says, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. This verse is not written to rich people. It, it, Paul knows everyone's going to give a different amount. We're all coming from different places, but everyone's involved. Everyone's engaged. Everyone's got their head in the game. And, I, I, you know, I think it's possible for some of us to not think, You know, maybe you're like, well, we don't have a denomination with a big pile of money that's a thousand years old funding our church, but we got a couple rich people who are probably funding the whole thing, and they're probably taking care of it. No, we don't. We don't have a couple rich people, and we don't want a couple rich people funding the whole thing. Because, guess what happens when the rich people didn't like one in eight sermons and they leave? (laughs) We're in trouble. Also, we don't want Nate starting to think, well, maybe I shouldn't preach that sermon because I don't want this rich person to leave. But we don't want that either, okay? Not that I would do that, okay? <laughs> we are all involved. This is done by everyone. Uh, so giving is an act of worship that each one of us decides in his own heart what to give. And the way that God makes our giving equal and fair is a third, third guideline here is that our giving should be a percentage of our income. And you see that there in verse 2 where it says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. Our, we give according to our prosperity. So, you know, when your income goes up, what happens? Your giving goes up. When, you know, you lose your job, someone loses a job, and I don't have any money, I'm, then your giving goes down and you don't give, you don't give as much during that season. And the most natural way to structure our giving so that it, go, it follows our prosperity is with a percentage. Um, and of course, the most well-known percentage of the Bible is the tithe, which means a tenth. You know, the Bible says that we think about our time in a kind of one in seven way, right? You work six days and you rest one in seven. We think of our money in a one in ten structure. You know, I, one tenth goes to the Lord, is offered to the Lord. And I know there's a lot of debate about, you know, how the tithe Is in the Old Testament. It's not as much in the New Testament. Jesus does talk about the tithe. But um, I don't want to dive into that debate. But I think at least one reason the New Testament doesn't mention the tithe, it could be that some of us should be giving more than a tithe. And the Lord doesn't want us just checking off the box. We're thinking, what has God called me to give? I think there's also mercy in this. You know, some of you might say, the Bible wants me to give a tenth of my income To God's kingdom. I mean, I just don't even know how that would work. I, well, then, don't give a tenth. Start with a different percentage. Start there. I would pick a percentage though that would cause you, that forces you to trust God. Does this cause you to trust God and to see Him provide for you? And then, and then return to it and prayerfully think about it. You know, if you're married, sit down with your spouse and say, what What is going to be the structure that is guiding our giving? Um, I do think that for Christians. The local church should be the place, because it's the place of their, the center of their spiritual life should be the primary place that the tithe goes. And, you know, oftentimes if we do something like, you know, I'm going to give 1% of the church, I'm going to give 1% to this ministry, 1% to this ministry, 1%, oftentimes what we're doing is we really want to be in control of our money. And we've lost the sense that I'm offering this to the Lord. This is not mine. Actually, everything I have belongs to the Lord. And I want this to be an expression to say, this is not mine. And the re- why, why is money so private for us? It's because it's the thing that we say, this is mine. This is the thing I have control over. No one tells me what to do with this. And so I think that's part of the challenge here. Um, I think the percentage also is simply has a practical purpose for how our church is run. You know, uh, my dad became a Christian late in life, and uh, he had been coming to our church regularly from when the church began our church is 10 years old and then just two years ago he came up to me and he's like so wait you're telling me that the way our church is run is because all the people that are there every Sunday are tithing and that's what pays all our bills I was like you didn't know that you didn't know that's so how after all these years He was like I had no idea that that's how it works and so When we are following these guidelines of a regular structure done by everyone, a a percentage of our income that follows our prosperity, then it saves us from this fourth principle, which is that our giving should avoid crisis campaigns. Right? He ends verse 2 by saying, On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. He says, when I come to the collection, I don't want to have to... Pull it out at everyone. You've been regularly setting aside as a discipline and, and a structure and rhythm to your life. And so here's the picture. A church who is caring for the poor and supporting the expansion of the gospel through disciplined giving that looks like every member on a regular basis giving a percentage of their income to God's work in the world. So the question is, how does a church become like that? Is it from church leaders, kind of hammering everyone, saying, "Well, you need to give more money. You need to give more money." Um, well, it's really interesting because you know after this passage, First Corinthians, Paul gave this instruction about them about their collection, and the Corinthians didn't do do very well. They started off pretty zealous for it, and then it kind of petered off. And the reason we know that is because Paul sent a second letter, which is called Second Corinthians, which is in the Bible. And in that letter, it, this doesn't just get a little paragraph in the end of the letter in the heart of the letter, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are all devoted to this topic, to the collection. And you'd be curious, okay, Paul gave these instructions. They didn't do it. How is he going to motivate them to really follow through on what God's calling them to do financially? Is he going to hammer them with guilt? Is he going to beat them up with God's commanded you to do this? This is what he says, maybe the most important verse in the Bible On giving in 2 Corinthians 8 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. He says, The gospel. You need to think about the gospel, the heart of what you believe. That Jesus, the son of God, the firstborn over all creation, you know, the owner of heaven and earth, the richest being that ever existed, was born into a poor family, was homeless, and left to die on a cross so that all the riches of heaven might be yours. That story, that hope, that message is what gives the power to make us a generous people. Because Paul does not want churches where people feel forced or guilted into giving. His vision is for us to be cheerful gi- givers giving from a place of joy and confidence of God and love for his kingdom. And that joy only comes from the gospel that the king of the universe became poor so that I might become rich. And when that message lives in us as a community, we become the kind of community Paul is describing who cares to the poor, who supports God's missionaries and is disciplined, loves the discipline of giving to God's good kingdom. And so, how do we become generous? Believe the gospel. Let it shape us. And uh, we will become the fruitful tree that Paul is describing in this passage. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for these words. We thank you for the challenge that is in them. We also thank you for the vision that is laid out for us in them. Uh, We uh, pray that our community would grow and become more and more connected, more and more uh, formed into the picture that Paul gives us here, that most of all we would become like our Lord, who though he was rich became poor so that we might become rich. Teach us what this means. Help us to encourage one another. We pray that uh, these texts would lead us to talk to one another, to learn from one another. And we pray that your kingdom would grow and that you would bond us to other Christians around the world. That is our deep desire, we pray in Jesus' name.